0: The point in taboo is, you get a card, your card looks like this, there is a word at the top that you have to try to get your partner to say without using one, two, three, four, five different descriptions. For example, let's see if you can get one. I've got one right here. You want to put one up there? Or I'll just, okay, he's got one up there. What we're going to do, the clumsy, you cannot, if you are the partner, you cannot use awkward, uncoordinated, drop, oaf, klutz. All right? Here's the way we're going to play this. I need four people from the audience, please. Y'all don't want to do it, do you?
1: I gave too many instructions.
0: Come on, Danae. All right, come on, Jamie. Come on, Jessica and Jamie. Come on. We'll have the Jamies against Danae and Jessica. All right, now, uh, let's see. Jessica, if you'll be seated right there. You'll be seated right there. No, I'm not going to give you a microphone. I saw what you did last time. Come here. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. All right. Now, what you're going to do, you're going to come over here Today You're going to stand right here. Now, the fun part about taboo is if if they say one of the uh, if the partner says one of the words that are up on the screen, like they say awkward, then you do this in their ear. And I mean, it's fun. You you watch as you get more competitive. We played this guys against the girls one time and it was serious stuff. You know, now here are the rules. The rules are you cannot use your hands, you know, like to draw something in the air. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Well, she's now she's the one that's going to be guessing what it is. All right. Now, Jessica, you're her partner. Come here, Jessica. Sit right here. All right. Now, Jamie, you can have this. Now, you in the audience, what you're going to do, you're going to help Jamie. All right. Danae can't see what's up here. Jessica's going to have to give her one word clues, or actually you can give descriptions. You can do anything you want to as long as you don't act it out, draw, and you can't point at something. You know, if it's pocket, you can't point here, things like that. Everybody understand the rules? So let's practice. Here's the deal. I'm the partner and I say, awkward. You go, you go, ah. Got it? Man, y'all are dead today. Last week's crowd was so alive. All right, let's try it again. Awkward. Let's try one more. Clutch. Ah, there you go. All right. So you get to watch all of that stuff and you're going to hear. Oh, you got the microphone on. You're going to yes. do that on Jessica. I, this is okay. Can move up? okay. I cool. But she can't see this if she moves up. Okay. Here we go. Oh, God. Hang on. We didn't think this one through. All right. Just hold that up to your mouth. All right. Are you ready? And what we're going to do is we're going to give them 60 seconds, whichever team... Gets the most in 60 seconds, they win. All right, are you ready? So this is pressure. What now, this one round.
1: What if we can't get the word? Then yeah. you say pass. Pass. You say
0: pass, and he'll go to the next one. We got your, we got like 40 <laughs> of like them here. So and if you can get 40 of them, we're gonna give you some serious That's it. Three passes, and that's it. All right, just in 60 seconds. <laughs> okay. If you're doing three passes in 60 seconds, you're done anyway. So all right, <laughs> all right. Are you ready? Yes. Crowd, are you ready? Yeah. yeah. All right, here we go. Go.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't look oh. Don't cheat, Danae.
0: Fast oh.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> You go and Pee Toilet? Bathroom? <laughs> no, she can
0: um, say <laughs> She can't um, uh,
1: Toilet paper? Is that like a deer lease or a campground? An, uh, an outhouse Good Good <laughs> <laughs> You wear underclothes, underwear, yeah. panty. There you go. Um, Josh and I kind of did this. Oh my um, lord! <laughs> 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 uh, not, okay, at the courthouse, the divorce? No. What? The <laughs> what? no you, where you? Where you? Where you come together?
0: But you okay. do it. Uh, time, time, time. So oh, when they get two, two, alone. Come on. You gotta be careful what clues you give tonight. Together. Oh my. Oh. We, can't together. Oh, I was like. we can't say that in public. Okay.
1: All right. Uh, who wants to
0: give and who wants? To... wants to
1: up
0: you're up here. All right. So no. you're gonna give the I clues. Yeah, y'all get that. Oh, you got it now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Are you ready? We put like 40 of them on there, and we only needed four for y'all. So, like, we got 36 for this team. All right, you ready? Here we go. Mm.
1: When nothing comes to my... done. <laughs> uh, blank? You can't think yet. Yeah, plant blank. Be a blank. Um, you can never... Uh... <laughs> Amnesia. Yes. Not a guitarist, but uh, in a band. Yes. Yes. Go. Not <laughs> <But>, uh. <laughs>
0: I think they just need one more.
1: What Japanese people love to eat a lot. A lot. A lot. A lot. Not too old. But... Oh, I think we're going to buzz that. <laughs> can't do sounds like. Up, man. We're keep going. Um Let's go
0: with it. Hey, say. You see him on TV. Yes.
1: What? kind of? model? You
0: can't say. No. I don't know. Time's up. Time's up. Time's <laughs> up. Wait, did y'all get three? You got two. We got tiebreaker No, 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 no tiebreaker. Hey, give them all a hand. You tied. Give them all a hand. Give them all a hand. Thank you. Somebody, yeah, take that away. All right. Make sure we have the buzzer up here. Now, life is full of partnerships, and in any partnership, you've got to work together, right? Now, th- we had some partnerships demonstrated up here, and... Um, there are partnerships everywhere in your career, in your in uh, your association with people at church, in your work, in your homes, in your families. There are partnerships everywhere. And at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis two eighteen, it says um, it isn't good for man to live alone. I need to make a suitable partner for him. So whether or not you're married or not, you are going to have partners in life. One of the most important decisions you'll ever make is your decision to align yourself with Christ and make it a partnership with Christ so that you have a home not only here on earth, but you have an eternal home in heaven. And and God promises that if you'll make that alliance, that partnership with him, he will be with you. He will walk with you every step of the way, and he will give you power and strength and peace that you didn't know that you have. So the most important partnership you can ever have is with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that partnership, we'll give you a chance to, to make that at the end End of the, the service today after that partnership the most important decision you will ever make is will I get married and then whom will I marry those are very important decisions would you say yes to that okay now after that the next most important decision is what kind of people will I hang out with what kind of friends will I uh, hang out with because friends tend to define you right Friends aren't neutral in whether they, um, and whether they encourage you to do good or bad. Friends encourage you to do one way or the other. They don't remain neutral, right? So the next most important decision you can make about partnerships is what kind of people will you hang out with. And there are skills you're going to need in these relationships, in these partnerships. And the deep relationships are not automatic, so you're going to have to work at them, you're going to have to spend time at them, and there are some skills that that you can learn that will help you um, make good partnerships, good friendships throughout your life. And you know, the problem is, your relationship problems many times are not really relationship problems. They're personal problems that you have that spill over into relationships. Um, Many of the conflicts you have are really conflicts within you that come out in your relationships with others. They're internal battles. And God says if you're going to have great relationships, you've got to start with changing you first. You ever figured out? How many of you wives have figured out you can't change your husbands? No matter how much you nag, no matter how much you beat on them with your words or with a baseball bat, they're not going to change. Nag. That doesn't work. And so what we've got to do is we've got to look in the mirror and we've got to make some changes in our own lives. And one of the things I like so much about Celebrate Recovery, I was sitting down with with two guys from Japan. One of them barely spoke English and he kept saying, my name is Yu-Yu. My name is Yu-Yu. Very good. Very good. And I'm like, dude, do you understand anything? My name is Yu-Yu. And a poor guy had to sit there for an hour with all the rest of us from the United States while we're sharing in this group. But there was a guy from Indiana, there was a guy from Arlington, there were two from Japan, there was um, a guy from Ohio. And we sat around in this group, and every one of us said, hi, I'm a grateful believer in Christ, and this is what I struggle with. And some of these guys just pulled off, didn't know them from Adam. They pull off their masks and they say, here's my problem, this is who I am. But because Celebrate Recovery is a safe place, they knew they could do that. And a lot of them had said, I would never do that in a regular church, but I could do that here. And we sat out there. That's one of the most meaningful times. Jeff had a different group. The one rule was, there's 3,200 people there. One rule is you cannot go with somebody you already know. So I couldn't go with Jeff or the two guys from Westwood Baptist that went with us. Jeff went off in his group. One of the most meaningful times I had was sitting there listening to these guys. The guy from Japan who could speak English said, man, alcohol is just out of control in my country. And we need Celebrate Recovery. We're like, how many are in your church? 200? I said, 200? I said, how many are here? 26 people spent their own money to fly from Japan to California so they could get trained in how to, he said, my goal is to take Celebrate Recovery back to my church so that I can affect my church, so that I can affect my city and my nation. And we're like, wow, that's cool, man. We'll be praying for you. It's a real place where you can open up and be authentic. And the Bible says in Romans twelve nine, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Now, you all have that on your listening, guys. So I want you to circle those words. Don't fake it. It's talking about authenticity here. One of the biggest criticisms I hear about the church is it's filled with hypocrites. And my answer to that is, yes, it is. Come join us. We are full of hypocrisy. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's not intentional. But we are trying to take the mask off so that we can be real with one another. And I'm telling you, there is nothing like the connection of two human spirits when you take off the mask and you say, this is who I really am. Are you going to love me? Are you going to reject me? And people accept you. That's what I'm talking about. When those those folks worshiped. It was from the heart. And I just stood there in awe Friday night when they did their Celebrate Recovery. Of course, it kind of freaked out the Californians because they usually have about 600 people at their Celebrate Recovery. Then there's an extra 3,200 there on, on Friday night. You know, it's kind of a, a shocking thing, but we worked through it. Well, um, Proverbs 26:23 says, Insincere talk that hides what you're really thinking is like a fine glaze on a cheap pot. Have you ever seen pottery that looked expensive, but it really wasn't? Um, that's what this verse is talking about. You can dress it up on the outside, make it look like it's something that's really cool. And it's not. I was, I was at a store one time and this is back when I was in high school. My friends and I were kind of stupid. Um, we, that's, that's another thing I'm struggling to recover from is stupidity. Um, but I took one of these things. i looked really heavy and I remember walking up to this pot and going, dude, that that's really cool looking. It looks really heavy. Well, I go to pick it up. I use two hands, go to pick it up and it's light. Well, my buddy's on the other side of the aisle. I'm like, Kevin, <clears throat> and I chunk it at him. Homer just freaks out. You know, he's diving, thinking it's all heavy and expensive. And He, catches it. he goes, you jerk. I'm like, I got really throw something at you that's expensive. It was just cheap pottery dressed um, to, to look like something nice. And, and the Bible says that when we are inauthentic, that's what it's like. It's this false front that we put on and... Um, and when you do that, when you when you have this false front, when you put on the mask, when you play, when you when you have a, a hypocritical spirit, do you know where that leads? It leads to loneliness. Now there were there were thirty two hundred people there the other night, and I was watching folks. In fact, there was a girl in front of us that worked that that went to Saddleback Church in California, and I was watching her. Her friend, man, she was all into worship. She was friendly. And and I was watching the friend every time somebody would get up and give a testimony, very quiet, very somber, very solemn. She'd wipe a few tears. And I'm thinking, Lord, is she going through that? You know, I I don't know. And when we would sing, rarely would this girl sing. And I thought she's surrounded by thirty two hundred people and she's the loneliest person here. You can have crowds around you and be lonely. And the only way that you're ever going to experience deep relationship is to be real and and to share your life with others. That means you've got to open up and take some risks. Um, I want to talk about nine words that cannot be taboo in your vocabulary if you're going to experience what God has for you in this life. All right. Nine words that you've got to learn to speak on a regular basis. Here's the first one first one is, the first phrase is, I love you. Now, we are intensely practical here at New Life Community Church, so I want you to practice these words. Some of you haven't said these words in a long time, and I want you to get good at it. So you're going to say, I love you. Ready? I love you. Now, we're going to do this about five or six times, because it's been a long time for some of you since you've said these words. And and people say, you know, I feel awkward hugging. You know how you get to where you don't feel awkward hugging? You do this. About 3,000 times. Then you put somebody in the middle and you do it 3,000 times. By the time you've done it 6,000 times, it doesn't feel so bad. It doesn't feel so awkward putting your arms around somebody. I've probably hugged my kids 10,000 times. I couldn't wait to get home and see them last night. In the last 10 days, I've been home three. And my kids, I talk to them every day. Daddy, when are you coming home? Daddy, when are you coming home? And I saw this little girl at the airport run up and jump on her daddy and hug him, You know, legs around his waist, arms around. She would not let go. And I said, Rachel's going to hug me like that when I get home. She did. And she did not want to let go. You practice it and you get good at it. All right. So say it again. I love you. I love you. Say it again. I love you. I love you. Say it loud. I love you. I love you. All right. Now, it's not like that old commercial. I love you, man. You know, when early all they wanted was the dude's beer. You're not getting my beer, Johnny. You remember that? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being real. All right. We just got to practice it so that we get used to it. Have you ever noticed children are so open to love? I'm sitting behind again. There's Japanese people everywhere in California flying back yesterday. Every stinking seat was full on the plane. And I'm, I'm the next to last row. Um, way back there, you know, I don't even know how many people this plane holds. Oh, Jeff got lucky. Yeah, he was on like row seven right behind first class. But they wouldn't let him go to the bathroom in first class. He still had to come back with the low life of though. So I thought that was funny. So God evens things out.
1: <laughs> That's true. Yeah.
0: Well, there's this, this Japanese family in front of me. I don't know if they spoke English or not, but they had a, a baby about nine, ten months old. And, you know, you're not going to keep that kid in a seat. And so he starts climbing up on the seats in front of him, looking around. And every once in a while, I'd look at him and smile. And he'd smile at me. And, And I'm just sitting there going, golly, God, you know, I don't even know this kid's language, but I can connect with him. Well, then this little hand comes through the crack in the seats. I stuck my hand up there. And he. He kind of pets my hand. We did this probably 900 times in the next three hours. Um, and this dude next to me, he was intensely wanting to be by himself. I talked to him just a little bit, but he, he told me I don't like to be around people. I like to sit by myself. Um, and, and one time I saw the little kid's hand come over there and go to grab his magazine. You know, he pulls his magazine back. But then I just saw him kind of soften up and he reached his hand over there. He was, he was intensely cool. He was a surfer. Dude. He reached his hand over and the kid tickled his hand. Now, have you ever gone to a kid that you've hung out with? Not one that you just don't know. I wouldn't suggest you do this on the street. But you go to a kid and you put your arms out like this. What does that kid do? Jumps up in there and hugs you and gives you the biggest hug and love. My kids say, I love you. I don't know how many times. I didn't get that a lot in my my home. Any of you ever hear those words enough when you were growing up? Let me see your hands. You felt like you heard, I love you from your parents enough. Wow, that's like... Three of you. Okay, I didn't hear it enough. And so I decided I wasn't going to be like that. I'm going to tell my kids all the time. I love you. I love you. I love you. I tell Janie all the time. We say it before we we uh, go to bed at night. We say it every time we leave the house. It's a rule at our house. You have to kiss everybody before you leave, even if you're just running to the store. Now, we don't do it. Go to the mailbox. We're not quite that bad. But everybody has to, to say, I love you. And kids are just so open to it. What happens to us? I think I know what happens. I think what happens is you get hurt. You become a teenager and you think, oh, you fall in love and then you get your heart broken and then you fall in love and you get your heart broken. Every time you get your heart broken, your arms kind of come in like this. And and before long, you get a teenager who, who's had their heart broken and you say to that teenager, I love you, and they just look at you. Almost as if they're saying, I dare you to love me. I worked with teenagers for 19 years. I've seen it a lot. It takes a long time to break through their hardened heart because they've been hurt. You know what the antidote to that is? (laughs) This this sounds easy, but it's really not. The antidote is you got to take a chance and open those arms back up. Because it's lonely having a hardened heart that you never let anybody be in. Some of you, it really has been Years. Since you've told somebody that you love them, and you really meant it. Truth telling, how many of you ever told somebody you love them and you didn't? You just knew that's what they wanted to hear. And, uh-huh, that more of y'all did that than, okay, I see, I did too. But there came a point where I said, this stinks, I don't like relationships like this. And I remember playing pool with a buddy of mine, he, he struggled with drugs and alcohol, and, and so he always wanted to go play pool, and the only place to go play pool was the bar. And so what we would do is we'd go like at 11 a.m., before anybody was there to drink or anything. And so, you know, it still smelled like smoke and all that stuff, but this is what my buddy wanted to do. And we're playing pool. And this guy really, I mean, cocaine, you name it, he he had a rough background. Really good friends. And and I'd been dating Janie for a while the second time, and, and we're playing pool. And, and homeboy looks at me, he goes, you love this girl, don't you? And I said, what? He goes, you love her, don't you? I said, shut up and play pool, man. He said, when are you going to ask her to marry you? I said, what? He goes, dude, it is about time you quit jacking around. Man, he messed me up. Because he was right. I did love this girl. And it wasn't long after that I told her. Now, this is a couple months before I finally proposed. but, But I did tell her I loved her. And I remember that. Looking into those blue eyes and just opening up my heart. Because my heart had been covered up for years to women. And, you know, I dated lots of women, but I looked at her and I said, I just I took that chance and I stuck that heart out there and I said, I love you. And she has reciprocated that for over 15 years now. And, and I want that for you. I want that for your for your families. And, you know, why is it that we don't tell people that we love them? You know, because there's there's some guys and gals in this church that I deeply love, but I don't tell them enough. I love doing church with Alex, and I love, I love Alex Maldonado, but I don't tell him enough. I love Wes. He's one of my best friends, but I don't tell him enough. Got to hang out with Jeff for, for four days, and we were joking on the way home. We're like, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. We're like, we need some time apart. No, we're just kidding. Jeff and I had a great time. David is one of the greatest servants I've ever met, David Bennett. And I love this guy and just known him a year and a half. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go around and tell all of you. But if you'll hang out after church, I'll, I'll make my way around. And I'll tell you, because I want you to know that I love doing church with you. And there's no place I'd rather be. Couldn't sleep last night. But there's no place I'd rather be this morning than with you guys. Now, my question to you is, who do you need to say I love you to? And, and when we get to the registration cards at the end, I'm going to ask you to write it down. Write down a name or two. My dad, I'd never heard my dad say that when I was about 20 years old. Never heard my dad say, I love you. I knew he loved me. So I just took a chance. I remember saying, Dad, I love you. And dad's like, oh yeah, me too. Now, I don't get the chance. I mean, that was, you know, that was years ago. I don't get the chance. Dad will say, I love you, son. And then he'll say, tell Janie I love her. Tell the kids I love them. I mean... This is this is my dad, and I I just remember thinking back then, I I don't want to die and have that I don't want my dad to die and have that story. Oh, I just never told him I thought I'm gonna do something about it. That was a long, lot of years ago, and I'm glad that, that I took that chance. I want you to look at what the Bible says in Daniel 10, 19. Don't be afraid, for you are deeply loved by God. Be at peace, take heart, and be strong. Psalm fifty six, eleven says, Trust in God, so I will uh, I trust in God, so I will not be afraid. What can people do to me? You know, anytime you put two imperfect human people together, there's not going to be perfect love. It's kind of silly to think that you're not going to have unconditional love because we are we tend to be conditional people. But if you will learn how God loves you and you will learn to see yourself as God sees you, it will free you up to love someone else without those conditions. Um Lots of talk at, at Celebrate Recovery this week about well, what about this? What about this? What do we do about this? What do we do about this? And they kept saying, you know, we are supposed to love people where they are. That's what Jesus did, and let God change them. But we try to change them. If you'll change, if you'll do this, then I love you. That's conditional, and we don't want to be like that. Number two, here's the second phrase that you need to learn to say: I was wrong. I am wrong. Yeah, that's me. 99% of the time I could just use those words and cover it all. All right, so let's practice. I was wrong. Ready? I, I was wrong. wrong. Y'all don't believe it. Say it again. <laughs> I, I was wrong. wrong. One more time. I, I was wrong. wrong. Now, Proverbs 28, 13 says this. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. I want you to circle those words. Never be successful. This is God talking to you, not Doug. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Circle those words. He gets another chance. Now, arrogant people don't admit mistakes. And God says, if you're arrogant, you're prideful, you will never be a success in my eyes. But he says, if you humbly admit those, your weaknesses. See, the Bible says that God looks throughout the world for people whose hearts are fully his to strengthen them. And God says he opposes The proud, but He gives grace to the humble. When you are at your weakest, that's when God says, now I got you where I want you. One of the things they said at recovery this week is they said, whatever your your hurt or your habit is, whatever that deep, dark secret is, God has a great big bullseye on it. And He's just going to keep on hitting you until you finally say, oh, God, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And then God's grace comes in and gives you the ability to pick up the pieces and to move on. But there are people in your life that need to hear you say that. We're in step eight right now in Celebrate Recovery. And step eight says this. I should offer forgiveness to those who hurt me and forgive those. uh, Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and go to people that I've hurt and ask them for forgiveness. Says to make amends whenever possible, except when to do so would hurt them. And we've discussed all of those types of things. Here's the deal. If you won't admit you're wrong and if you won't go to somebody. The Bible says, tells us that you will be stuck in recovery. You'll be stuck back there in your pain and you will never get to the road of healing, the road to recovery, if you don't forgive others and ask forgiveness from people you've hurt. Um, if you want to be stuck, that's great. I don't want to be stuck. And I'm going to have to go to some people and, and talk to them and, and ask for their forgiveness. And we're supposed to, we'll be writing down lists of, of people that we're supposed to go to. And and make amends. And I don't want you to be stuck. One of my favorite stories is that in 1919, on New Year's Day, Georgia Tech University played the University of California in the Rose Bowl. Shortly before halftime, a boy named, uh, a man named Roy Regals. I don't know if you ever saw the, the Gilligan's Island. There was actually a Gilligan's Island where there was a guy flying a plane and he was Wrong Way Regals. They got the name from this. Um, Yeah, Eula knows. Thank you, Eula. Nobody else knows. Um, Watch the old Gilligan's Island reruns. Wrong way regals. I didn't know it at the time, but they got that from this guy. Right before halftime, he recovers a fumble for California and somehow he gets uh, confused and he runs 65 yards the wrong direction with the fumble. Right before he gets to the end zone, one of his own teammates has to deck him, tackle him, so that he doesn't score for the other team. And then, you know, it's so close to the end zone that they don't get out, and when they go to punt, the other team blocks the punt, and so they get a safety that it ends the half. And so they go to the locker room, and and the coach, um, Nib Price, Nib's price was the coach, he comes in and just sits there. He didn't know what to say. You know, they were heavily favored. This is New Year's Day. This is a bowl game. They're supposed to win. And they said that R- Regals went over and got down on a bench, put a towel over his head, and cried like a baby. Just wept. Well, they come in, they tell him there's about three minutes left in halftime. they say, uh, Coach, you need to get your team back out on the field. Coach sits there for a minute and he says, Alright, the same men who started in the first half will start the second half. So they all run out. Regals just sitting there weeping, weeping, weeping. Coach comes over and he says, Roy, didn't you hear me? The same men are starting. And not say anything. Roy, get up. You're in the game. Roy says, Coach, I can't. I've ruined you. I've ruined the university. I've ruined myself. I can't do it. I can't do it. And Coach said, Roy, the game's only half over. Get up and do something about it. And reports are that those who saw it said they've never seen a greater half of football than what Roy Regals did in the second half. He became a man obsessed, possessed. With being the best he could be for a half a football game, they end up winning the game. Now, the point is, you don't have to be stuck in your past, but you gotta admit that there's some mistakes there and move on. If you are, if you are being bombarded with guilt over something that you've already confessed and given to God, that guilt comes from Satan, not from God. God will convict you from for things that you've done, but He will not cause He will not cause you shame. He will not keep hitting you with that same mistake. If you've taken that to God, then all you have to do is say, God, I was wrong. God says, I've removed that sin from you as far as the East is from the West. There's a song called, What Sin? And the guy keeps going back to God and he says, God, I'm sorry for that sin. I'm sorry for that sin. And God says, What sin? I forgot it. I forgave it just as soon as you confessed it. What sin are you talking about, son or daughter? So don't be stuck in your past. You're never a failure until you give up. So those three words, I was wrong. And some of you need to get, well, all of you. I'm not going to let you off the hook. Every one of you here has someone you need to go to and say, I was wrong. Say those three words. So you can do it. Swallow your pride and go to them. And you watch the tension drain out of that relationship. Every time I've gone to one of my kids and said, I was wrong. I was chewing on Caleb the other day because I thought, I just assumed he took the remote, the all-powerful remote in the living room. And I'm like, dude, you were the last one I had. I was just chewing on him. Where is it? I hate it when you're talking. Well, Caleb walks into the computer. And as he walks in there, I went, oh. And he was sitting right next to the keyboard. And guess who was the last person on the computer. It was Daddy. He walks back in and... He doesn't smile. He's afraid to smile. He hands it to me very meekly. And I said, I hate it when I'm wrong. And I said, you do too, don't you? I said, baby, will you forgive me? Sure, Dad. It's not that hard. Everybody knows you screwed up. Just admit it. Everybody knows you did. Third one. I need help. I need help. Practice these words. Ready? I need help. Say it. I need help. Say it again. I need help. Say it louder. I want you to watch this video of a young lady um, who was devastated. She, she's come through the Celebrate Recovery program. Her name is Desiree.
1: My scars are a very big part of who I am and what. I am right now as I say this um everyone has a story behind it there it's about 200 all over my wrists and arms and legs um it all started when I was really young like I don't even remember what age but I started I remember just starting hitting my head against the wall and the pain relieving the emotional distress in my family my family has been screwed up since birth my dad left when my mom was three months pregnant with me I live with my mom and grandma and they don't get along whatsoever so they would always blame it on me so I always thought that I deserved the pain in second grade I took a ruler with the metal edging on it and I just ran it down my arm and I remember being so relieved and it seemed just that one single drop of blood and just thinking yes this is what I need this is what I deserve and then it just kept on going until about sixth grade In sixth grade it got worse I started using knives and scissors and I remember going to Target and buying the pack of razor blades or stealing the 10 pack of razor blades um, eventually I started to think I don't want to do this anymore And then I saw the pamphlet for Life Hurts, God Heals, and I thought, you know what, I'll just give it a try. Something has to help. I know God's there, but I just need to open up to people that don't necessarily know me completely. I just need to go there as a person who struggles. And when I see that the leaders, they love me no matter what, it just blows my mind. And now seeing just that my pain can be used.
0: The amazing thing was this was recorded back in um, 2003. Uh, No, 2004. This was recorded in 2004. And they showed a video where um, Desiree came up on the stage at the Celebrate Recovery Summit last year in 2005. And, you know, people just going crazy, clapping for her. I wish I had a picture of, you because of her because she does not even look the same. Her leader said, what's amazing about recovery is when people admit they need help and they begin walking through it, their countenance changes. Their, even their clothing changes. This girl walked on stage and had, had I not known that she was Desiree in, in this video, I never would have been able to pick her out. And then the coolest thing was they said... How long has it been since you cut yourself? And she said, one year, two months, three days and 79 minutes or something like that. I mean, she knew exactly. And then after the video is over, they say, we want to welcome Desiree again. Desiree walks up on the stage. Beautiful young lady, countenance, just alive. And of course, these folks jumped up screaming, clapping, standing ovation. And they said, how long has it been since you cut yourself, Desiree? Two years, however, she did the whole thing. And, and how did she do it? It started with these three words. I need help. Life Hurts, God Heals. That's the youth version of Celebrate Recovery. There's actually one now for children as well, and it's called pre covery It's called How to Be With Your Attitude. I went to one of those conferences. Incredible. That they're teaching children that they're valuable to God. Teaching children how to process pain in their lives because they said their, their uh, desire with precovery with how to be with your attitude, is that they eventually have such healthy children throughout our nation that we put Celebrate Recovery out of business. Children are coming through it. Youth are coming through it. Thousands of adults have come through recovery. And, and not only are they healthy, but then they become productive members of their churches and of society. And the, the incredible thing to me is... Um, Like 70% of the folks who come through recovery begin to serve in their churches. Because that's the last step. The last step is give back what you've learned from God. Well, I want you to think about those things. And I want you to think about if you need help. Now, it may be that you need help moving something. Alex chewed me out the other day because I had 70 sheets of plywood to unload from my truck. And so I was on one side and Janie and Caleb were on the other side and Caleb's 11, you know. And so he, he kind of chewed me. I was like, why didn't you call? I said, well, because I had Janie and Caleb. Idiot, you know, that type of thing. So sorry, sorry. Why don't we ask for help? It's either because we're too proud or we don't want to bother other people. But is there anybody here that wouldn't help others if they ask you? If you do, I'm glad you didn't raise your hand because then we're going to have to get you together and beat you up until you got nice. Um, that was what we are going to do to finish the service today. No, if you just admit you need help, there are people all around that, that will help you. But you've got to get over your fear of, of letting people know that there's something wrong in your life. And uh, it could be drug-related. It could be alcohol-related. It could be you're trying to recover from a divorce and your life's just devastated. It could be just loneliness. It could be you don't like the way you look. Whatever it is, you're not going to get help and you're not going to experience the life that God desires for you until you say those three words, I need help. So my question to you is, where do you need help? Once you take your registration cards,